This podcast is sponsored by your donations, thank you, and by the purchase of my book called Everyday Buddhism, Real Life Buddhist Teachings and Practices for Real Change. I will post an affiliate link to the book on Amazon in the show notes. And if you've already read it, please take a minute to rate and review and consider purchasing it again for a friend or family member. Welcome to Everyday Buddhism, making every day better by applying the proven tools found in Buddhist concepts. Welcome to episode 69 of Everyday Buddhism, making every day better. As some listeners might already know, my teacher, Reverend Sunan Koyo Kabose, passed away suddenly on March 7, 2022. Today, as I record this, is it is April 10, 2022. And as a tribute, I am releasing a special replay of the interview I did with him in December 2018 for episode 20 of my podcast. I hope to do a longer memorial podcast honoring the life and teachings of Reverend Coyle Kabose sometime early summer after the official memorial service. But first, a little bit about the episode I'm introducing. It was the first of a series of episodes where I talked with the Buddhist teachers that not only educated me, but shaped my life for the better. Reverend Coyle Kabose was the spiritual leader of the Bright Dawn Center of Oneness Buddhism and my sensei. He was born in Los Angeles, California, and was relocated with his family to Japanese internment camps in Heart Mountain, Wyoming, and Poston, Arizona, when he was a young boy. But after World War II, his family moved to Chicago, where he completed elementary and high school. Reverend Koyo Kabose went on to earn a BA from the University of California at Berkeley, an MA from San Francisco State University, and a PhD in psychology from the University of Iowa. He was on the psychology faculties at the University of North Carolina Greensboro, University of Hawaii Honolulu, and the University of Wisconsin Center System Janesville. Reverend Koyo lived in Japan for three years and studied Shin Buddhism at the Eastern Buddhist Society at Otani University. He also did meditation practice under Zen masters Yuchiyama Koshi, Kosho of the Soto tradition and Kabori Nanrei of the Rinzai tradition. When he returned to the U.S. in 1977, Reverend Koyo Kabose worked with his father, the Venerable Reverend Gyome Kabose, a pioneer in the Americanization of Buddhism. From 1983 to 1995, Reverend Coyo served as a minister at the Buddhist Temple of Chicago, which his father established in 1944. Until his passing last month, Reverend Coyo Kabose served as the president of the Bright Dawn Center of Oneness Buddhism, which he established in 1996 to carry on his father's life work. On April 4, 1998, 
Reverend Gilmay Kabose officially transmitted his spiritual authority to Reverend Koyo Kabose. In the interview, we talked a little bit about the what and the why of Bright Dawn Center of Oneness Buddhism and the lay ministry program from Reverend Koyo's perspective, what its vision, mission, and special niche as a program focused on bringing the Dharma to everyone in an ordinary, everyday way. For this special replay, I will introduce it by sharing a just a few personal reflections of Reverend Koyo Kabose, who was my teacher, my mentor, and my friend. Yet, he wasn't the teacher I thought I was looking for. Instead, he was exactly the teacher I needed. I became aware of Bright Dawn in about 2005 and began receiving their newsletter, which shared the wisdom of both Reverend Koyo and his father, Reverend Gilmay Kabose. At the time, I was still actively involved in a local Tibetan Buddhist Sangha in the Drikun Kagyu tradition, but I was feeling less and less aligned with the practice in that tradition, although I felt close to the Sangha and the center directors. I was conflicted. The Tibetan cultural atmosphere and traditional practice rituals began to feel uncomfortable, as if I didn't belong, like bad-fitting clothes. And the feeling continued. And as that continued, I started to realize that, no, I didn't belong to a Tibetan Buddhist practice community. I benefited greatly from the years in the study of Galupa and Drikun Kagyu teachings through reading, conversation, direct teachings, and practice from lamas, geshes, kempos, and other teachers. But I felt like my American self was either trying to get smaller or get bigger to mold into something I wasn't and could never be, even though all I wanted was to absorb and live the Dharma. As I mentioned in the preface of my book, in talking with my friends, the center directors of the Tibetan center I belong to, I said to them, I would love to be a part of a Buddhist center or sangha that focused on Buddhism with the complexities of cultural rituals and guru devotion gone. Maybe I need to start one, I said. They looked at me with subtle eye rolls and winks and said, good luck. I left the Tibetan center then, but on good terms. But at the same time, I didn't know where I was going to go spiritually. Where would I end up? I felt like a Buddhist failure who couldn't find a tradition, couldn't find a home that fit me. Maybe I just wasn't doing any of it right. I knew I was aligned with Buddhism and my Buddhist refuge. And and the Bodhisattva vows meant something deep and important to me. I had the Buddha in my heart. I had the Dharma. But where to find Sangha? The good news is I found an American Dharma Sangha. I didn't have to start one. A community and soon-to-be educational program was starting right at that very moment in the creation of the Bright Dawn Center of Oneness of American Buddhism, now the Bright Dawn Center of Oneness Buddhism. At the time of leaving the Tibetan Sangha, I read the latest issue of the Bright Dawn newsletter where they announced the beginning of a lay ministry program. So I submitted my application and I was accepted to the program for the following term, 
which would be the second lay ministry class, or LM2, as we refer to it in Bright Dawn. After years of experiencing the ritual and hierarchical formality of the Tibetan Buddhist practice, coming to Bright Dawn was a shock. Although there were a few formalities we were to adopt that came from the Japanese culture, like uh, our how we referred to each other and how we referred to our sensei, sensei, and there was a structure to follow for our class sessions, but the milieu of the program was informal and completely every day. And the funny thing is, even though that was exactly what I thought I was looking for, my internal spiritual judge said, hey, this isn't a real Buddhist program. It seems so simple. How could there be ev- anything of value here? You see, I was used to having to go through these difficult and dedicated studies and practices so that I could reach this brass ring that I thought one must try to reach to be a true practitioner. So by the second or third class of the Bright Dawn Lay Ministry program, I was thinking I might quit, but I didn't. I don't mean to sound all woo-woo here, and those of you who know me from listening to this podcast know woo-woo isn't my thing, really. But there was a strong draw that defied what my logical mind was telling me to do. And that draw was Reverend Koyo Kabose. I didn't recognize it as such at the time, but that was the connection that held me like a magnet. Now, this is going to sound completely disrespectful, and trust me, I do not mean it to be disrespectful, but sometimes I thought Reverend Coyle was a complete goofball. He would tell long stories about everyday life that seemed to be the musings of a neighbor you run into on a walk. And now, right now, I can, I can tell you, I can honestly hear him laugh as I say this. Reverend Coyle Kobose presented everything simply. He presented himself and the teachings like an everyday, ordinary person. And it totally threw me. What was I to learn or receive from this regular guy? He certainly didn't seem enlightened to me. And that was the gift. He disarmed me. He began shooting holes through my spiritual ego and spiritual grasping. He gradually erased me. When he taught our classes, he rarely commented directly on any contributions any of us made or on our papers discussing the readings or on our Dharma talks. Nope, you just did the work. Just like in the Diamond Sutra, in the teachings of the emptiness of the gift, the giver, and the receiver. As a bright dawn student, you were taught by example the emptiness of the study and practice you did, the emptiness of your expression and your expression of yourself, and the emptiness of any reception by Reverend Coyle. It was a direct teaching of non-self or no-self and emptiness. The eye that I lugged into the Bright Dawn program, full of my discomfort with Tibetan Buddhism, but strangely stuck to a belief in the power of its ritual, was gradually being dismantled. That was exactly the teacher I needed then, and afterwards, and now.
From that beginning, as I wrote in my book, quote, Bright Dawn turned my life completely around. From a Buddhism out there, possessed by special enlightened masters, to a Buddhism tried on and conversed with in the mystery and tragedy of the everyday sublime, as Stephen Batchelor referred to it in his book, Secular Buddhism. I later discovered, through study of Reverend Coyo and Reverend Gilme Kabose's lineage, that this everyday ordinary teaching style was something that was inherited through their lineage which is now my lineage, my spiritual inheritance. Everyday Buddhism is everyday Buddhism because of this style and because of the writings and teachings of Reverend Koyo and Reverend Gyome Kabosi and their teachers, Reverend Haya Akagarasu and Reverend Manchi Kiyazawa. I will say more about this style and the teachings of the lineage I was inducted as sensei in in later episodes. But for now, I will leave you closing this introduction to my earlier interview with my sensei, Reverend Koyo Kabose. The first is this. Reverend Koyo taught us not to strive to be a teacher, but to be a true student, a perfect student, or as he said, uh, the perfection of studentship. This is central to the teaching lineage that runs from the Kaboses and Akagarasu and Kiyazawa through to Shinran himself, and actually through to Shakyamuni. But looking at Shinran, he never considered himself as a teacher. From the book Heard by Me, Essays on My Buddhist Teacher by Soichi Maeda, a fellow student of Akagarasu, Maeda writes, quote, Although some people called Shinran their teacher, Shinran never considered himself their teacher, nor those people his disciples. He called them fellow learners, learners and fellow practitioners. His humble self-identification as only a student is clearly expressed in the statement, quote, I do not, even, I do not have even a single disciple, unquote. My sensei, my teacher never acted like a teacher. During rare ceremonial events like a refuge or tisarana ceremony or our lay ministry induction ceremonies, he was the person representing the three jewels and the lineage back to Shakyamuni. But at all other times, he was himself. As Maeda wrote in his book about his teacher Akagarasu, Buddhist teachings are designed to attain the most important spiritual quality of freedom. He says that freedom means freedom to be what one is. He wrote, when the student experiences total crushing by the teacher, he is liberated from his imagined self-perception into what he really is or liberated from the self which is similar to what I've talked about before, uh, uh, about authentic becoming, authentic becoming as a translation from the Tibetan word for renunciation. But in speaking of his relationship with Reverend Akagarasu, Reverend Maeda echoes his, his experience um, with Akagarasu, and that echoes my experience with Reverend Koyo Kabose. He wrote, quote, 
Reverend Akagarasu's appearance was not one bit grave, serious, or formal. He did not wear the mask of a teacher or any other mask. He met us as a real ordinary person. He did not have the smell of Buddhism or the smell of ethics. He was what he was. He was what a real human being is. That was liberation and freedom. Aside from this, where else could we find liberation of our total being? Unquote. Maeda continues by writing, quote, Because he was like this, I could be without any reserve around him. I could say to my teacher anything I wanted to. There was always an atmosphere like a spring breeze between us. In front of him, I was never expected to be anything, unquote. And it is that spring breeze-like relationship I experienced with my teacher, my sensei, Reverend Koyo Kabose. Once I realized I was never expected to be anything, I stopped grasping and became what I really am. It is in that spirit that I launched the podcast, Everyday Buddhism, and wrote the book, Everyday Buddhism. I was given the gift of freedom to be this regular human being and to do this regular thing of talking to you. I was given the gift to pass that on to you. And with that, on with the special replay. I am beginning a series of episodes focusing on the teachers that had the most influence on my understanding of Buddhist teachings and how I apply them to everyday life. So, of course, I had to start with you. Uh, your influence through you and your father's Reverend Gyome Kabose's teachings and the true Sangha I founded, my family of Bright Dawn fellow lay ministers and lay minister students and interested Sangha members. It's, it's sort of the very foundation of this podcast in many ways. You know, that podcast name, Everyday Buddhism, and my mission for it is directly inspired by your father's vision of bringing the Dharma to everyone in their everyday lives. He, quote, dreamed of establishing a uniquely American Buddhism, unquote, but we could even, nowadays we would expand that to maybe Western Buddhism or even secular Buddhism. And he is, quote, I wanted to share with the listeners, I know you know this, but it's, his dream was that this American Buddhism would be easily understood and practiced by Americans and that would contribute to American life and culture. This Buddhism can be explained in simple everyday language and practiced in every aspect of our daily life, yet it is a unique Buddhist life way, non-dichotomized, non-dualistic, and that would bring about a peaceful, meaningful, creative life both individually and collectively. Those were the words of Reverend Yome about his vision and his mission. You know, it's been... 12 plus years since the lay ministry program was established, and I think 20 some years, right, since the Kabose Dharma legacy was established, right? Right, right. To ensure that your father's teachings would continue on. And, you know, from my vantage point as a, a student and inducted lay minister and now teacher, is that this legacy has certainly taken root and is thriving 
with so what how many lay ministers do we have now mm, over 50 maybe i'm not sure i think it was 50 some i was go- right before we got on i was going to do a quick quick check and and i sort of forgot about that so but yeah i think we're over 50 uh lay ministers in the 12 plus years so um i feel that you know it's a thriving, thriving community. What is, what is your sense of it right now, Reverend Coyle? Yeah, my thought uh, uh, when I listened to what you just said is that, you know, everything is sort of a trade-off. If you go down one way, you say, well, yeah, yeah, this is what our movement, but then there's, a, there's another aspect, you know, maybe another trade-off. Um, and so can, what we say is that, well, 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 which way is the, is the best? I thought you said this way and then this goes this way, you know, more secular, more everyday. Then maybe the, the other side trade off is, oh, it's sort of like, I don't need religion or, or, or traditional religion is, is, uh, uh, not needed or even dangerous or because oh. we embrace this so much that, oh, I, you know, you get too fervent about it. And, and then it gets corrupted in a way. Uh, so it's true. Oh. Our niche is, tr- <laughs> we have a niche, okay? But somehow we have to balance it right. off. Anytime we say, hey, my, this niche is really great, okay? Even if we say it's great for me, okay? Just say, hey, I, could do, I could say that with confidence. It's great for me. Even that, the tra- there's a trade-off of you might get caught, huh? You know, or it catches you, yeah. you know, or you grab onto it. Okay, if you grab onto it, yeah, there there has to be something. Uh, no period, no conclusion, no. Uh, you're living it. Of course, then when you start to sit back and talk about it, or try to describe it, that is a different matter than what you are really experiencing with it. So when we do, you know, maybe this podcast is sort of like that, where it only, it's only the finger pointing. And somehow we want to communicate that when we're, when we're talking about it, we say, yeah, but you know, (laughs) it's more than that. You know, it's, it's, you got to look where the finger's pointing at that traditional story, that kind of thing. So (laughs) I'm kind of evading in a way, but. No, that's actually, I liked where you went on that because it was something I was thinking about bringing up at some point, you know, um, the whole point of having an everyday Buddhism or, or something that is, is incorporated in daily life means that it's incorporated in the impermanence of everyday life. You change, you know, your views change, your perspective change, the people around you impact you change. So you, although you may, you may get attracted to say bright dawn's vision of Buddhism or whatever, um, for it's, well, we'll just use it, the term secularness since it's been kind of the buzz for a while. Um, so even though that, that you may have been attracted to it you know, from that aspect, um, to begin with, maybe you've got disenfranchised by the religion of your birth or whatever the reason. Um, but then when you get into it, you know, it changes you 
the people around you change you, and then you may pick up spiritual aspects that you didn't even know existed, or religious aspects, or traditional ritual aspects, right? Is is that kind of what you're getting at there? That's well said, yeah. And I think there's a couple of, well, you could call them teachings or phrases that remind, remind me or bring me back uh, to that kind of a, a insight or realization. One is that, um, and, and all the old, all the, all the old masters knew this too. So, for example, Dogen says, "Practice is enlightenment." Now, when you so that enlightenment might be the goal, see, and if you, an accomplishment, a grasping. Whereas practice means it's got, hey, you're, you're doing, it's dynamic, it's living, yeah. it's, uh, you know, and it's, I want to be forever changing, okay, that kind of a feeling. Or the other statement is, I'm not sure exactly where I might have heard this, but uh, I incorporated it into our program because it's so common sense for us, a participant a truth seeker says it wants to say, "Okay, I'm. I this is what I want. I'm going after it." Okay, uh, and I, and and then usually they they justify it by saying, "Okay, I'm going to get it, and then I'm going to teach it and help other people." Uh yeah, no, you can't fault that, but <laughs> uh, but it's so seductive to be a teacher, to see oneself as a teacher, and to say this program. The whole reason I'm doing it is to finish it, to become, to get the title, the status, even if it's only internally in a person's mind. Uh, that's built in. And so somehow we have to, the way we address it, what, what I just started to say was, th- the goal is not to become the teacher, but it's to become the yeah. student. I already thought I was a student. I want you to stay there. What do you mean stay there? I don't want to stay a student. Okay, I want to, you know, no, that's where you tur- you got to use a kind of a, well, you might call it a Buddhist non-dualistic logic or, you know, you say, I want you to perfect <laughs> your studentship. That's the, <laughs> such a beautiful word. Okay. <laughs> that's the goal. Yeah. yeah. Perfect your studentship. Yeah, yeah, you know, um, people wouldn't know this, the listeners wouldn't know this, but when when you gave us a, a, a little talk, when you first passed sort of the torch for us to take up some of the teaching of some of the classes, I remember this vividly, um, that was that was one thing you stressed to us, right? Don't, 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 don't be a teacher, be a perfect student. And, and it's, you know, it, it, it rings in my ears. And, you know, I think I'm going off on a tangent now too, and I hope I didn't take you off your train of thought, but what I like to share this with listeners, because I don't think they would have any idea of what goes on like that. But, um, you know, I think a lot of times well, like you said, people go after a certain goal, whether it be enlightenment or be a teacher or be a this or be a that or get a degree or whatever the thing is. And 
um, they have these expectations of what that looks like. And they have these expectations of what a teacher looks like. And um, I think it's typical in the way you teach, the way your father taught, the way his teacher taught, and we can talk about this later, sort of the lineage and the roots. But you, there's a, I know from my personal experience, having you as a teacher, it was, it was, you, you, you are sort of insidious and you sneak up on people and you don't know, you don't know, <laughs> you don't know you're being taught. You see, you're, you're so relaxed and, um, and you're just chatting away and you're saying this and that. And all of a sudden you realize you sort of got a whack on the back of your head. <laughs> yeah. You know what that reminds me of is, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point because, uh, you, here's what, here's what I, I imagine happens to a typical student. Um, First of all, they say, hey, this is pretty good. It's not real heavy on uh, scholarly, uh, teric, religious terms and everything. It's really down, down to earth. Okay. And, and, and so it's everything is green. Go, go. And, and then after a while, the trade-off starts to, uh, presumably trade-off starts to enter the student's mind. It says, but, uh, you know, is this really Dharma? Is it really Buddhism? Right. Uh, and we're just talking about these everyday practical things and experiences. Okay, I get it. Yeah, everyday Dharma. But nothing's new happening now. I don't feel I'm progressing. Uh, it's just <laughs> level, sort of. I'm doing the same thing. I'm doing the same. I'm doing Dharma glimpses. I'm hearing other people's Dharma glimpses. I'm... I'm, I, I learned not to seek the Dharma outside, but I seek it in myself. Okay. Uh, I, I realize that. Then you might say, well, just, I'm just going through the motions now. I, I realize what it is, and I, say, I, and I, and I take it. And I, I say, yes, I agree with it. And uh, the way I would say it's like, this is my, my uh, analogy. The head, the heart, and the gut. Now, the head means, you know, all three are important, but you start with the head first in terms of conceptual things. And you say, oh, right. so someone says an insight to you and, you know, or you read something great, a great teaching, and you grab it with your head. You say, aha, oh, man, yes. Okay. And then you start to hear it the same thing. You hear it again and again. Then you say, oh, it's getting a little bit deeper. I, I can not only understand it, I could start to feel it. Okay? My feelings, my emotions, my heart. Man, I, yes, this is beyond just a belief thing. It's my belief thing. And, and then you start getting that my belief system, I keep experiencing it, and you experience the specialness of it. You could recognize it. Hey, I see the Dharma in my everyday life. Okay. But then, as you know, every Sunday, you say, oh, hey, I see the Dharma in my everyday life. I see the Dharma in my life. Then it starts to maybe reify, it starts to get a thing, 
But you, but since you're in the program and you got to keep going, I, I so I can't quit. Okay, even though I'm not really excited anymore, but I'm I'm doing it and I, and I agree with it. Nothing against me, you know. But so I'm going, and hopefully, and I think this is what happens because people for two years they have to keep doing the same old darn same old thing, same old same old, and then it goes into the gut. <laughs> And they don't feel, oh, this is really great. They don't. They c- can hardly say anything about it with their mind, you know, unless it's unless there's part of their 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 karma to 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 communicate it. Then you gotta th- sit down and think about it. Then you say, oh yeah, hey, you know what the greatest thing I got out of uh, Bright Dawn program is, you know, uh, the Dharma's everywhere. They think like that and they say, oh yeah. But during every day, they don't think of that. Not when they have to talk about it. Say, yeah, that's what I learned. Okay, and the only reason they learned that is, and then went into their gut. And the gut means natural, natural, you know. Right. And uh, and that's that takes some decades. That's what I think about, you know, uh, like my sister, she teaches tea ceremony, Japanese art of tea, and some. Uh, well, uh, non-Buddhist, perhaps West, too westernized uh, student comes and, and says, uh, after a couple of weeks, she says, can I get my tea name now? Uh, can I, can I, did, did, did I, you know, I'm ready. I'm, I, you know, there's no, you know, studentship. They want to jump to the, become a sensor right away about this tea certificate, uh, teachership and so forth. And uh, so maybe that's a, a way that something you got to get over. And the way we get over it in our program is we just beat it to death by repetition of the same old thing, you know, and to, to go into the gut. It's all true, though. But, you know, coming from, you know, it, it, in some ways it would be fun to have a bunch of us on and talk about our own individual experiences years after getting out of the program or something. You know what I mean? That That would be... That'd be something that would be fun to do. I don't know how we would do that, but um, something to think about. But one of the things, just you know, because I'm only speaking from my experience, um, so I can only represent myself. And but that re- you just said totally resonated with me, because there, it, there I've always had, and I, sometimes I thought of it as a bad thing, but in 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 hindsight, I see what happened is. It was that sense of okay, I don't think about this anymore. So what's what's happening? I'm not learning anything. I'm not growing. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm not. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not getting to my goal. I'm not whatever that goal is. And and there there was that sense of that. I had that sense of that. And you know, I've I've been out of. I was inducted in 2009. So we're like talking like nine years, right? Um, and. So when you say decades, I feel like that does happen. It's sort of, it's like a, it's a sinking, it's a grounding, it's, it it gets into you and you only kind of, once it, it has to almost get completely out of your head for you to feel it, right? And that takes time. That, that takes, I think that takes a lot of time. And then you see this 
special then you see the specialness of the program and then you see the specialness of being that perfect student it, you don't see it right away i that it, it's a it's a maturing yeah maturing yeah, exactly it's a ripening yeah. you know and you it's, when you get that fruit you know you got you just got it it's fresh and that's that's the important thing i mean you know you, but you the way nature is you don't get the ripe fruit right at the beginning it's impossible not to me because no. you, like you said it just takes time you know yep. you can't speed it up so you got to have no. that fruit ripen and mature and it takes decades so somehow maybe so if, when you get back together again a long time and you say oh yeah i remember uh i i heard that your fruit takes a long time to ripen but i really didn't know what that meant until now Looking back on it, yeah I, was, yeah, I was such a ripe, I was such a raw fruit, you know. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 absolutely true. But I think that you brought up a very important point: is that, and you've said this before. It's to all of us. It's like when I asked you the question just to start all this. What we've just talked about was, you know. You know, where, where do you see it? Would you see it thriving? How do you see it? And, and you, you're essentially saying that you see it, it's constantly evolving, evolving, evolving and ripening, right? <laughs> That's what's happening, right? With all these 50 plus inducted lay ministers. And you don't know where they're going to end up, right? Is that the other thing that surprises you? Well, it's also, again, this is sort of conceptual, but, uh, a circle in a way, because, and for some reason, I really resonate to T.S. Eliot's quote, you know, uh, I'm just paraphrasing, but you returned, you went on a journey and you returned home and you knew it for the first time. Now, there's a Buddhist uh, three-part poem. Uh, it was one of my teacher's uh, uh, favorite poems, and I, and I remember that, and then when that teacher died, uh, uh, well, it was only about maybe five years ago, and his family, they, he was he was an American. He was a Japanese-American uh, BCA minister, Buddhist Churches mm -hmm. of America minister. But And, and on, on his funeral program, they had that poem there. Everybody knew this mm. was his favorite poem. And, I, I, and, I, and it's kind of challenging. It, it's, very, it's kind of a hard to understand, which is good. Now, he says, okay, number one, uh, part one is, uh, you know, before I studied uh, Buddhism or the Dharma, uh, you know, it's an ordinary person. Uh, uh, trees were trees, mountains were mountains, and rivers were rivers. But then I discovered, I entered the path. I went into the gateless gate, and, and uh, oh, the Dharma was so shining. And now mountains were not just mountains, and trees were not just trees, and rivers were not just rivers. Everything was... And then when I mastered the teachings, because, you know, your life goes on, you're, you're still going on. Maybe this is the ripening process. But you say, and then when I fully mastered the teachings, or it became natural in a way, then he says, he doesn't say all that in the poem, but then he says, oh, but then trees are once again trees. Mountains were just mountains. Rivers were just rivers. Period. Yeah. Isn't that the Mountains and Rivers Sutra? I don't know. I don't know. Is that what it? I'm not real familiar with the I, sources I, and citations. 
what's what is the difference? I mean, between the first and the third uh, river, the river. So this is where there's something there though, because you see other poems too where it says uh, things like, oh, they they talk about the the lifespan of a man in decades, and and they say when I was twenty. I was like this when I was 30, then I, I was uh-huh. like this, you know, then 40. And then it was about getting the Dharma, living in Dharma, you know, mastering it. And then it says something like, when I'm 60, everything I did was divine or something like that, where this <laughs> is a metaphor for the spirit, for spiritual growth, the journey. You know, they talk about it as a metaphor of 10 years in an individual man's life and how his thing matures, spirituality matures. But uh, it's sort of a template for, the, in general, the, the, the path of spiritual growth. And it ends up with uh, just an old man walking, doing or going around his business, doing his business. Uh, but everything he does is is divine. I don't know if that was the word exactly, but uh, so then that, that's the naturalness of it, you know, and in yeah. a way, in a way, this is a strength of, well, relatively speaking, the Mahayana, the, or maybe the Shin Buddhist, or, you know, not that there's not trade-offs anywhere there too, but the, the thing about, uh, uh, oh yeah, there was a minister, Reverend Ogui, who was in Cleveland at the time, some decades ago, and he would have a fall and spring, they call it a, a mind-body seminar, but and he had a Zen Shin Sangha there. Uh, Zen Shin, and they're all, you know, Caucasian Americans, small group, but very, uh, a lot of vitality. And for the biannual seminars, he would invite a Zen teacher, and he needs it, and he would invite my father. So the Zen teacher he would do was uh, uh, from the New York, and uh, and of course Zen priests are very dramatic, strong, and he says. Uh, uh, so when the, I tell my students before the guest comes, the guest speaker comes, you know, try to get them ready, and uh, he doesn't have to when he's when the Zen teacher comes in. They're kind of very respectful, quiet, and and he said they may even sort of fear him a little bit. They're you know kind of all. <laughs> and then when events, my father to come, he pre warns his his students. Now I want you to watch them real careful and think about you know watch them really careful because if you don't do that, you'll think he's just an old man off the street. And uh, so <laughs> so 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 he tells me so he you know he tells me so more. There's my students, they really watch him carefully, you know. <laughs> but that, that's sort of, you know, the, the whole movement uh, of uh, Mahayana and of uh, Shinran Shoni, who, you know, took, a, took Buddhism away from the aristocracy and emphasized for ordinary farmers and stuff, because it was aristocratic, uh, uh, an aristocratical Buddha, Buddhism, the priests were powerful. They right. hobnobbed with the politicians, and and, uh, and you know they showed off a lot with Buddhism and the arts, which is you know the trade-offs there. It's it's good. It's it's a good cultural arts all over. Uh, 
but he went to the people. It started a movement. Right. And in fact, that's, it's tradition, really, because the Buddha, that's how he was. But then maybe exactly. this, there's something instructive about this. Maybe something goes past, past maturing and ripening and then it gets rotten. Maybe I better <laughs> add that. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, yeah. well, then it's going to get thrown into the compost and uh, new fruit's going to come up. Are you all right with that? You know, uh, can you can you leap into that? Because it's not reincarnation. It's not you. Okay, that's going to be the new fruit. <laughs> right. Is that all right with you? Right. You know. <laughs> uh, well. Yeah, you know, I think you, you hit on something that I sort of wanted to go to anyway, all by yourself, um, is I think the podcast listeners would be interested in understanding, you know, more about what, bright dawn is you know we talk about it all the time and um but what does it mean how did it come to be and 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 as a fo- a follow up and I'll remind you if if this is one too many questions can you tell us more about you know the roots of bright dawn in the lineage or in the teachings and philosophies embraced by both your father and you, you know, and, and particularly I've been interested and I know you've been interested in, you know, that I've been interested in is that reformist, uh, lineage that, you know, you even talked about with Shinran, that was a reformist sort of movement, bringing it to the people, bringing it away from the aristocracy. Buddha himself was a reformist, right? He reformed the thought of the caste system and Hinduism and brought, brought it to just the person. But we, in Bright Dawn, we have a unique lineage, I think, um, starting with uh, Kiyozawa Manchi through Haya Akagarasu and that Dobokai or lay movement that was started in the 60s and then and then continued on through your father and the Buddhist temple of Chicago and then now through us in Bright Dawn. I, I'm, I'm fascinated by sort of how the reformist theme runs through all of this. What do you think? Can you tell me more about all of this? Well, yeah, I, I think uh, it is valuable to set that down because, and a lot of teachers have done that. Shinran did it too in his Kyogo Shinsho, where he, he takes the seven masters of, the, his, of his lineage right. uh, and he goes, you know, and it is a Mahayana, so it starts with Nagarjuna and mm-hmm. Majamika school and so forth in order to, to, I think, to let people know this is not some new new movement, really. It, go, it has its roots way back, and uh, uh, so, so you're, you know, uh, you have to have that proper understanding. Otherwise, you say, "Oh, reform." Yeah, it is reform, but ah, something new. But yeah, it's new, but it's also a continuation of the old. Maybe there's been a lot of ripening, destruction, <laughs> ripening, destruction. Oh, talking about dependent mm-hmm. origination. I'm talking about constant change. You can see it right in there. So, so I thought I, I. So that's what I'm sort of working on in terms of starting with the Buddha himself. Okay, in a way that's arbitrary, but said so, okay, and he taught. Uh, he Ananda. There's a, a quote. I don't know. Again, I'm not scholarly bent anyway, but 
I don't know. I can't cite anything, but uh, I read things that I, I remember them in my mind. Maybe I even changed them in my mind, <laughs> so I cannot cite it. You know, as something that was in the original. But right. Ananda asked the Buddha, and he said, "You know, you're talking some some this concept of emptiness comes up a lot. What is that?" And he said, "Oh." Buddha said, when this arises, that arises. When this goes down, that goes down. Uh, that means that emptiness is, is dependent origination. It means interdependency. It means karma. It means causing conditions. Uh, nothing is spontaneously arises. No, it's, nothing has an enduring self or essence. So it lays the ground right there for a non-soul system, as my father would put it. Buddhism is a non-soul system. It calls into question, mm-hmm. who am I? Uh, you know, what is that? Because we have the provisional uh, truths of, you know, well, yeah, I know I exist. I got a name. I call it myself, everything. Uh, but, of course, the Dharma is saying, well, that's just, uh, you know, kind of a... <laughs> Convenience and necessary convenience, perhaps that we live in together. We we got to communicate and talk and whatnot. We have words, we have language. Uh, but the, in Buddhist teachings, which since it's non-dualistic religion, okay, uh, it's got to say something like talk talking a negative. Okay, and it, a lot of people have said this. Mm-hmm. My father, he says, and in the East. When they're trying to talk about wisdom, they talk about what it is not. Okay. Oh, no, no, right. not that. So, how about this? No, not that. Not that. Well, tell me what it is. No, no, not that either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so emptiness or nothingness uh, means life, the dynamic change of things. Okay? There is a river. There is a self, but not a fixed entity per se, unchanging entity. So then we can get a glimpse into that aspect of wisdom, that aspect of non-duality, and and it develops into it's developed uh, uh, by Nagarjuna. Okay, maybe 500 years later, it, it, you see the flowering of that. And then the other thing about going to the people, it's been very common that Buddha's is quoted as saying, "Don't believe in something just because I said it." Okay, check it out. Right. And some people have said, you know, some people, some Dharma teachers say, how great is that? Can you imagine some great religious teacher saying that, you know, that's, that's, that's outrageous, you know. <laughs> uh, and, but it, the scholarly citation for this is the, I think it's the Kamala Sutra, uh, where Kamala or Kal- Kalama, I don't remember which it is, uh, I get the L and the M mixed up on the, the last part. Kamala or Kalama, but <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll look it up. We'll look yeah, it up yeah, later. Yeah. I'll put it on the website. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But these people said they came to him. You know, these villagers, and you know, maybe they were a clan or whatever. And they asked them. They said because in Buddha's time there was it was the in India it was the it was the uh, so many teachers. They say we we hear a lot of teachings. How do we know which is the best one for us? And what the Buddha said, style of his time. I think it makes, it makes more impact when you, you read a sutra because uh, not just the conclusion that I, that I just that I started out with. Well, I, I'll just check it out yourself. 
But in the style of, of the sutra, it says, oh, mm-hmm. Kalama people, you know, don't think something is true because X. Right. And he repeats it three times. Then he goes to Y, you know, or maybe say A, B, C. And he says, and don't believe it because it's in the scriptures. And he repeats that, repeats that, you know. And then he goes on to, and then don't accept something is true because, you know, uh, that's the way it, that's the way it's been handed down all this time. And you know, it's a long thing. So I think he said, "Oh, this is important." He's spending a lot of time on this. It wasn't just a casual thing. Oh, you know, just just check it out in your own experience. I mean, that's how it's concluded or, you know, condensed. But if you look at the sutra, you say, "Oh, this is an important point." And it and it is a form of going to the people. It's putting the source of authority not externally, not in the person, another person, not in the doctrine, not in scriptures. Most times you think, oh, the older ancient things in Pali, yeah, that's more original than this translation. So earlier is better. Uh, well, so okay. Going to the people, yeah, and and you know, in our you wrote a, a mission statement or something for us. I forgot what we called it um, for for the Bright Dawn program. That's based on that, right? Can you know that that you know the whole point is that we're when we're inducted as lay ministers, you know, it's like that being that perfect student. <clears throat> we're we're not ministering in the traditional sense, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, the greatest teaching there is is by example, really. So if you sincerely, and not as a strategy really, but just sincerely as a, say, leading a class or something, that you are a student, you are learning, you are getting excited about learning, you know, uh, you go on the same old path, but you see something new every time, you know, that. Yeah. influences people around you. So that, you know, that's sort of like sneaking in a teaching tool. You could call it that way, but, you know, uh, it's not like the teacher's using that as a strategy. So, you know, and then when people, they express it to me in different ways. When they, sometimes when they come to induction or, or ceremony uh, or later, uh, one, one, one student said, you know what was a big thing for me, the way she expressed it was, always looking for the teaching. You know, I had to dig out the teaching outside of me. I mean, I was looking for it out there. I had to, I thought you were teaching us to go out there and find it and find it for ourselves and grab it. But then I found out I had to dig within myself to get the teachings. I thought that was yeah. her way of expressing it. Yeah, but, that's, uh, that's, that's so true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, so, anyway, um, so that you I could talk a little bit more we'll outline quickly the 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 time frame, historical time frame of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, then, I you know, you starting with the Buddha, that. he goes with the where you sunyata and wisdom comes from from the Buddha and then it, it's expressed in the teaching of of uh you know, uh uh sunyata non-dualism okay? and the other parallel path is going to the people source of authority and this i think rests as the mahayana school 
couple hundred years after Nagarjuna, they find uh, Vasubandhu and, and these two brothers that founded what came to, later to be developed into the into the uh, Yogacara school, mind so-called mind only, which really is a way of saying, hey, it's you. Okay, it's that's another way of going to the people to individual experience, and those two things. I think there's a, some kind of a spiritual tension between those two. Uh, uh, we don't say a contradiction, but maybe paradoxical is a better word, where on the one hand we say, hey, no you know, uh, complete uh, impermanence, interdependency, you know, the wisdom part of it. That's the what. Okay. But how, we're going to the people, how is through individual experience. Now the what, okay, if I wanted to, I'm working on this, so I'm kind of conceptualizing it, but the what and the how in terms of Bright Dawn program, okay, the what comes from the whole lineage of uh, the Buddha's teaching of emptiness, Nagarjuna, it, it expresses it in the Mahayana, uh, different sects, it, it goes and it's, it gets a little spurt, a little peak, uh, in Shinran, in Shinshu Buddhism, okay? really going to the people now. And, and also the, the naturalness aspect of it. Um, and okay. then, so I say it's the, philosophically speaking, the what is the ontology? What is reality? Mm -hmm. And then the other part is the epistemology of it. Is, is how do we know reality? And, uh, you know, through individual experience. Now, the paradox is one says, hey, you know, it's, uh, this is li freedom, liberation, non-dualism. But you've got to work hard to realize that, you know, in a way. That, uh, sometimes right. they say, oh, you know, you don't want to force it. You don't want to, you, you, you rely on other power or you, you know, you realize this this energy and force out there, and you, it's so big. Okay, that's what they're teaching, isn't it? Give ourselves to it, surrender, grace, and all this stuff. Uh, and then it gets perverted. Maybe you call it a trade-off. You say, oh, I don't have to do anything. Okay? God's going to take care of everything. Okay, in, these are in another language, another religion's language, but they're pointing to this thing that, you know, it's your ego your self-centeredness that's going to, that's been holding you back and the whole society we're conditioned. See, you let go of that. But then they, they, per, it gets perverted into, Oh, I don't have to do anything, you know, but well, why did the Buddha and why in Buddhism did they talk about right effort? Uh, you know, or the per, parameter of, uh, Varya of, you know, you gotta be, you gotta have, you know, vigor in there. And, uh, the whole individual experience going to the people means, hey, you got you better work hard, work hard on self reflection and introspection, and and show your sincerity yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So you know, uh, you got to work hard to get that fruit. Yeah, and then then the paradox comes in. Well, I had to work hard to get that fruit. Now I got to work hard to ripen it. No, I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> then you work hard to you work hard. <laughs> And then you're like Froggy, you know, Froggy and Toad, where Froggy's <laughs> visiting Toad, and, and, you know, he sees the, the flowers. Oh, your garden is beautiful. And, okay, this is, a, this is a silly story, but it was in the book, in this children's book. So Froggy says, hey, I, I want that. How, how do you get that, 
beautiful flower garden. And Toad says, oh, you know, nature, you got these seeds. You got these seeds? He says, yeah, here, take some. What do you do with these? So he plant them in the ground. Says, okay. He plants them in the ground, and then he comes back, you know, the next day, and he says, hey, I planted them. Nothing happened. And then Toad says, ah, oh, jeez, Froggy. <laughs> uh, you got to, you know, water it. You got to, did you put it in a sunny place? Did you water it? You know, you got some, put some compost in there. Goes, oh, okay. Well, I didn't know. So he goes back and he does those things and, and makes sure the sun's shining and everything. He comes back. Maybe it's a week later. Hey, Toad, the seeds you gave me is no, no good. It's still, nothing's happening. It's bare ground. And then Toad says, oh, man. You got to just wait, you know. Uh, we're like that. Oh, I scattered the seeds. Where's the flower? Uh, <laughs> but nature knows. Nature knows. Uh, yeah. And it's not so us and nature. We're in nature. Oh, we're part yeah, of nature. Yeah. So you're working on, on like, sort of revol- sort of comparing the broader sort of Mahayana tradition with the evolution of Bright Dawn then. Yes, yes, that's true. The what and the how. Yes. And trying to elaborate on that's that. And, uh, you know, uh, and I have a lot of personal stories about going this phrase, going to the people. And, for example, I was just talking to a Unitarian minister. This is some decades ago, but. I didn't know him, uh, but he was a minister of Evanston Unitarian Church, Evanston, the next suburb, next to Chicago. And uh, for some reason, I was talking to him, and he said, he said, you know, I didn't really know your father, but I really respect him because and so many decades ago when I was a young minister here, we took our students on field trip, educational field trip, and we visited different churches and religions in Chicago. And he said, you know, when we came to the Buddhist temple of Chicago, your father greeted us, you know, at the door. And then he gave a presentation. And then when we were leaving, he saw us off, you know, and saw, waited, <laughs> saw us get on the bus and he waved goodbye. And he goes, you know, I'll tell you something. Religious leaders, they don't really go to the people. They sit back. They're big shots. They sit back and let the people come to them. But not your father. Mm. He goes to the people. Mm. And uh, now this was not a big thing, but I, I somehow I just it, I remember it. And I said, I'm going to I'm going to talk about this. You know, I include it in this part of right. going to the people and why Bright Dawn offers this. Or, or wait, wait, one of a uh, in our LM nine group. Uh, one uh, to be inducted lay minister came. Uh, his mother came, several people, but his mother came. And he was from uh, Alabama, and here's a southern mother. And so she's sitting in my living room, and uh, we're just talking about different things. And, and uh, somehow, you know, the fact that we, didn't, we don't charge tuition, you know, we say, hey, man, right. come on, welcome, you know. I think that was part of it. She didn't say that, but she said, what she said was, what you're doing here, you know, it's not a money thing. And what you're doing is not a prestige thing. What you're doing is a giving thing. This lady's deep, you know, this lady's, you know, insightful. Oh, wow. So 
<laughs> just like the other story, I remember this. I said, yeah, we want to give to the people. Okay. Uh, it's not a money thing. It's not a prestige thing. And, of course, not a prestige thing goes into the whole topic of uh, the status of a sensei or a teacher or uh, title and, uh, uh, you know, uh, and it ties into the lay movement, too. So, anyway, those are some. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, well, you know, it's so true, and I and I think about this a lot. It's it's um, It's sort of like a guiding principle, if you will. You know, I think if you absorb it, if you let it ripen inside of you, so to use our metaphor of the day, um, it, it it's sort of the guiding principle to maybe how, what Bright Dawn stands for, you know, is going to the people, um, it, it is be, it, but people don't, you know, it's not something you would think about. It's like, I think too many people still, even if they're escaping other religions to come to Buddhism and in, in this search of this great secular organization or something, um, uh, they, they, what I think they, they would miss the point, right? It, it, because it, to get involved to any kind of organization that you're going to get involved in. I, I remember you've used the term many, many times. Um, it's a debt to, too great to be repaid or something of that sort. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm paraphr- I'm paraphrasing you, but, um, but that's it. That most of us, I do not think have that experience in our lives and the way our lives are in today's fast paced, um, culture it's and it, and now see just not just fast-paced but transactional culture right we we're very used yeah 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 we're very used to like okay we're going to go here do this and get this right we're either going to put in our time or pay our money or whatever and you say at the very beginning of the bright dawn program it's a sweat equity thing um but the thing is is if there's an expectation of you're getting something, then I don't think you got it, right? <laughs> so you're, what, you, what you get is sort of a contagion of giving. You say, hey, am I interested in this program or not? I mean, I didn't have to pay for it, so it, you can't waste your time because otherwise what are you doing, you know? Right. But if you pay, and it doesn't matter the amount. When you said transactional, somebody might say, you know, oh, why don't you, 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 you know, that that's okay. Transactional is okay. That's how our society works. But it's okay. You don't have to make it. Yeah. You don't have to make it expensive. Just charge a little bit. You know, that doesn't matter. You can pay a little bit, then boom. Hey, I, hey, I paid. I, I got. I got to get something. You know. Uh, yeah. I see. Yeah, <laughs> it changes. Well. It changes the view, and yeah, and see, that's the thing. It's like, um, it's it's uh, you know, I, I I wrote this article, and I'll post this on the website because it goes a little bit into the lineage, and it might give people some more um, perspective on you know how this all came about. But I wrote this article for a Midashu newsletter called about bright dawn and i called it buddhism with attitude keeping it real and alive um 
and I think I th- I think that it's the aliveness. It's the it's the it's how each one takes it, ripens with it, if you will, and, and where they take it from there. Where do you? Uh, two things I want to ask before we end today is. Um, Number one, I'll let you finish this one first, and then we'll go to the other one. Has the evolution of Bright Dawn and the lay ministry program surprised you in any way? Well, I didn't really have expectations. uh, uh, And I'm thinking now of whether, you know, there's such a thing as too much success. um, And maybe, you know... Oh, everything starts as a reform movement, almost anything, you know, and then it becomes a, it, right. it has such value. It has, it's such a treasure. Then people say, oh, I got to preserve this treasure. And then that preservation process means it gets codified. It gets, you know, uh, structured. It, it gets less organic. Okay. You, you want to control right. it. You want to protect it, protect it. Your Your motivation is, you know, compassion and everything, but, that's the trade-off part again. That's the reality of how it goes. You know, maybe there's something to that old mapo thing where there's time when it grows up and then it's got to go down. <laughs> and then maybe it's got to come up in another form. But, you know, that's more cosmo- cosmology maybe, but not that long of right. a time frame. Let's say, well, uh, if it gets uh, – how do you preserve the, the, the initial spirit? I think there are a lot of things you could do to to maximize it, but you better not have an expectation that ah, you know, I'm putting the, you know, this is it. This is, you know, so we're always a work in progress, and uh, along so, with the same that teaching, yeah. So you're you're saying that you did nothing. You nothing really has surprised you about it, really. Uh, well, you know what surprised me? You no, know, but what? the the quality of the people that. That was a question mark in the really yeah. way in the beginning when, because some people said board, well, some people, meaning people around me or board members or, or even some lay family members say, uh, not only said they thought it was strange that you're not charging for this, but then if, how, how are you attracting students? Are you advertising or something? Says, well, we do have our website, but then this was the time. I don't know if it's still true, but. If you're on the web and internet, oh, be careful. There's all kind of people out there, you know, and uh, and then they get they get they get in the back of their mind uh, this uh, mail order diploma by mail order, and and we said no, oh, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I I don't think it's like that because it's a commitment of you know two years plus it's not paying five dollars, paying twenty five dollars, or even paying a hundred dollars to get your your certificate, it's sweat equity, everything, and my assumption, and that proved true, that it was self-filtering, yeah. uh, self, you know, <laughs> and uh, the quality of the, you get, lots, you get sincere people, okay, and I was really gratified by that because I wasn't quite sure, and there might be a, some that self-select them out, themselves out. The only reason they were in there because it was free, and then they said, oh, 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 then it wasn't for them. Okay. And not that, you know, you're yeah, on a different, yeah. different path or whatever, but so, so we always used to have at least one or two in each class drop out after a little while, you know, so it, it is. But that's, 
that's self monitoring selection and yeah, yeah 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 but that's so you that, know ninety percent so yeah I remember at the beginning um, when we were first you know we were one of the I was in one of the first classes and we tried to get more aggressive and we started that Ning site and try to get more get more people in and we were all gung-ho and uh, you, you remember us <laughs> and and we would push you to do this and push you what shouldn't we do this and and you were saying no I have a laissez-faire attitude and it was like okay <laughs> but you started to see that's the ripening again. You started to see over the years that was the smart way to do it because it, it evolved the way it needed to evolve based on the people that were in it the, and everything, right? It's, it, it, and it's, and you, you always saw that, I think, and some of us upstarts didn't see it, but um, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I just that I think I take it for granted, but being with my father for all, you know, since he was my father, but he was also my teacher, also, you know, his life and sharing his life, that's how I thought, what I thought Buddhism was. I mean, I, I didn't even think about it. Uh -huh. And as I look back on it, uh -huh. I say, oh, that wasn't my strategy. That wasn't my whatever, or that was, uh, you know, that was just the natural, uh, you know, if you plant a rose seed, you're not going to get a chrysanthemum. So, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. you're not going to plant a carrot and then you're surprised because it's a potato. So it, it, I think it's, it's a, uh, and plus uh, it was pointed out to me and I, I took this idea, which might be of some importance when you talk about these historical things is that lineage is a pretty strong word. And then they said, well, maybe, maybe leg legacy is better. That started me thinking on this topic. And as I was, I was writing th this historical stuff and the what and the how and everything going back in time, I said, it might be misinterpreted. Okay, legacy is it's an okay word, but somebody might trans, you know, trans, you know, talk about a lineage, talk about a direct something or other. It could lead to, to problems. So to minimize it again, okay, I'd say, I decided to use the word historical influences okay, instead of lineage ah, or legacy or heritage or roots, even, no, even roots okay, might be, well, maybe that's okay. But uh, so I, anyway, I put it, the chapter heading historical influences. And then I talk about all this. Stuff, yeah. But, uh, yeah. 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 Lineage is, is, is too, um, well, it's 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 got that uh, sense of um, oh, what's the word uh, like like it has to be like you know yeah you have to have like the certificate in the yeah you say okay yeah hey what's your what's your source of authority in terms of lineage I mean you know uh, so that's why it's important to do what all these other Shidan and all these other people did to show well. <laughs> We were influenced by the Buddha, by the Dharma, okay? And historically right. what happened. Right, It's That's important, but not for the reason of authority per se in terms of lineage, you know, because a lot of people, right. we, we, don't, we don't cater to that. So uh, you, we're, we're, we're really, you know, because of blah, 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 our lineage and so forth. And yet it's, that's, 
that, that again trade-offs because that could be that is important too okay well right well one more question i do have one more question what would you like to see where what would you like to see for bright dawn in the future do you since you didn't have expectations before do you have them now no. well <laughs> i think there's a i have a great trust in in the naturalness of things and all things in its good time and uh 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 like for example uh teacher i mean uh, one of the land ministers said oh somebody in our she was hosting a class leading the class and one student talked about this and that's not true buddha didn't say that okay and should uh -huh. i correct this person uh and i mm -hmm. said no even though, you know, maybe you could, I'm not saying don't, but even if, no matter how gentle, okay, because they said gently and everything, but no matter how gentle, <laughs> it's pretty difficult because like artists, individuals are sensitive people, you know, and uh, yeah, you, they, they could take it, take it the wrong way and, you know, it would have a dr dramatic effect. So I said, even if it's wrong, for that, you know, person, let them, let their karma unfold, their spiritual journey unfold as they go along. That's better, you know, yeah. uh, organic process. And it's the same for this organization. Uh, and uh, it may go this way, go, you know, it, there's no straight lines in nature. It's not like you want to put this water from the top of the mountain to the bottom and make a straight canal and, you know, man-made. Well, you know how the river does it. It just goes, you know, it goes this way, that way. So, whoa, it's going that way. No, no, no. Yeah, you let it go, and it'll get to the bottom. Okay? It'll get to the bottom. Yeah. I trust in gravity. And I trust in, the, you know, people, uh, even though there may be detours along the way. So, uh, I... I I feel that. And also, but going to the people and the lay, the whole lay movement of it, I think it fills a good niche where, you know, clergy, lay, uh, there's something inherently unhealthy about your spiritual leader being your employee. If you're a board member, you're a temple member. Um, right. And, and so, you know, that's a whole different political, social, political thing and everything. But this way, Somehow to, again, it's not fully formed yet in Bright Dawn, but to, to try to uh, talk about that, to communicate it in a way that, well, uh, lay, <laughs> lay people, uh, and uh, maybe this is also part of elaboration on going to the people uh, and uh, powering individuals, okay? Even as you go forward and you want to develop, you want to develop it structurally or, or format or whatever of your program, you, 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 you got to have that in there. The fact that, you know, you know, and of course, being a lay leader has a lot of perils too. Uh, not just clergy, <laughs> yeah. clergy aspect. I mean, just as, you know, whenever you get a group of people together, you're going to have conflict, you know, uh, right, you have to right. just minimize it. You just have to minimize it and don't be too surprised when, you know, uh, you have so-called setbacks, you know, uh, don't expect right. anything 
from people, and, but be very grateful for what you, you do receive from the other people. So that gratitude, you know, we ought, to, we ought to end on the fact that gratitude and humility, those are the, if you stress those, you know, virtues and, and the virtues of ambiguity and uncertainty, I think that's built into mm-hmm. Buddhism itself. But we, that's part of our niche where we really say, hey, you know, uh, yeah, you can see gratitude in all the, you know, schools or approaches and stuff and everything. But we really want to kind of uh, uh, use that as a uh, niche, I guess. Is, well, that's the word I've been using. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that is a good ending point, Reverend Coyle, because um, it's one of the reasons why I did this program to begin with, to express my gratitude for you and for Adrian Cabose and Bright Dawn and all my Bright Dawn brothers and sisters um, and all the people listening to this podcast who who always ask me about Bright Dawn. So now they know probably more than they want to know. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, all right, so thank you, and in gratitude, a deep bow, a big bow to you, and thank you for being with us today. Okay, thank you. That's it for this episode. I hope you could feel the gift that Reverend Sunan Koyo Kabose was as a person, as a teacher, through this special replay and my introduction. So on to my usual postscript. Don't forget that you can join me and others in the private donation-supported everyday sangha that meets virtually via Zoom every other week on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. The sangha recently started a study of the Diamond Sutra, so if you'd like to join the sangha at the start of a new practice, now would be a good time. And please consider supporting the efforts of this podcast. As I mentioned in the um, sponsorship intro, um, I, the reason we have this podcast is because of your donations. And so consider supporting the efforts of it and by becoming a community member at $5 a month. And if you do, you will have access to blogs, members only podcasts, education series, a private Facebook group, and our new introduction to Buddhism class. The first cohort of that class finished the course, but look for it to start again tentatively at the beginning of June because we plan to have two of those classes running annually. The class is free to members of the Everyday Buddhism community and the Everyday Sangha. If you don't follow me or Everyday Buddhism on any of the social media platforms, then go directly to the Everyday Buddhism website and join the membership community if you're not already a member of the community or the Sangha. You can go to www.everyday-buddhism.com and click on the tab that says Join Community or Sangha. And you can join the Sangha there too. I can't stress enough how thankful I am to those of you who donate or who join our groups. Since I do not seek podcast sponsors and do not ask for membership financial commitments to any of the groups or this podcast, my work and the cost of the infrastructure needed to support what I do is entirely self-funded except for your donations. Thanks to to all of you who write in with comments and questions, I do read everything, 
but I can't respond generally to all the 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 uh, the feedback that I get from you guys. So another way you can help is to rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It's important to share the podcast with others if you find it helpful helpful in your life. And if you could take a minute to comment so people know why you love everyday Buddhism. And if you like this podcast and aren't already aware, remember I wrote the book in the same everyday style called Everyday Buddhism, Real Life Buddhist Teachings and Practices for Real Change. Look for the affiliate link in the show notes. And if you've read it again, please take a minute to rate and review. So that's it for the announcements. Until next time, keep finding ways to make yours and everyone's days better. (music) 